Hello and good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world. I'm Barbara Schreiner Trudell, and now the good news. Well, we're starting off with a, a story about an incredible new national monument in the U.S. So President Biden continued the bipartisan executive tradition of conserving historic and scientifically significant lands by designating Spirit Mountain in Nevada as a national monument. It's sacred to several Native American tribes, principally the people of the Fort Mojave Indian Reservation, Spirit Mountain sits on the southernmost point of Nevada. The designation covers 506,000 acres, one of the largest tracts of land to come under federal protection since Biden took office. And it bumps up against some other national wilderness areas. So the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haland, herself a native of the Pueblo peoples, held roundtable talks with the Mojave and other tribes in September of last year to discuss the need to conserve the area. The slopes and flatlands around Avikwaami, I don't think I pronounced that correctly, my apologies, are dotted with important sites dating back to modern Indian times, but also back as far as the Neolithic period. Rock shelters, petroglyphs, and sacred sites will all be sheltered under the National Monument designation. Spirit Mountain is the point of Mojave creation. It's very important and integral part of our history and belief system, says Ashley Hammers, the tribal administrator for Fort Mojave. For us, the mountain is a living landscape. It's like a person. If something were to happen to it, it would be like losing a loved one. I think sometimes we forget the importance of the land to the Indigenous people, and I think it's something that um, maybe we could learn from. So beyond the irreplaceable value of the landscape to the Mojave, Gila Monster, Desert Big, Bighorn Sheep, Desert Tortoise, and centuries-old Joshua trees are among the species that can be found on this diverse desert landscape. So this is a really important piece of uh, new piece of information and we're really grateful to have this land protected and i'm happy to share that story a little bit of good news well here's a little bit more we've got good news from senegal the critically endangered west african lion well there's a mom with some new babies. In a thrilling sign of recovery for the critically endangered West African lion, camera trap footage and photos of a West African lioness and her three cubs playing, nursing, and feeding in Seneca's Nicolacoba National Park were released by the conservation outfit Panthers. The high definition videos and photos feature Florence, a nine to 10 year old GPS colored lioness that scientists believe has now given birth to three litters, totaling nine cubs since 2021. Well, she has been busy. Now, considered the matriarch of Nicolacoba, this lioness has contributed approximately one third of the park's lion population, which has grown slowly from a razor's edge pride of 10 to 15 individuals in 2011 to perhaps as many as 40 today. Wow. So this is really good news. We don't want any species you know, eradicated from the planet. We want to see growth and renewal. And so this is very, very exciting news. 
they said that Dr. Henschel said we covered the entire park in camera traps last year. And that also provided evidence of lions in areas where we didn't know resident lions existed. And so overall, we add up that we are about over a third. So about 35% of the park occupied by lions, and maybe it's even more. So this is really good news. They're, they're traveling, they're expanding, and they're growing. So yay for the African lion. Well, here's a funny story. I'm a knitter and I'm a grandma, but I'll tell you, I would never knit something this intricate. This is absolutely unbelievable. So great, great grandmother dubbed the queen of knitting. Ooh, yes, has created a massive six foot long replica of Buckingham Palace made entirely out of wool. I knit, I could knit a scarf, but I couldn't do that. Margaret Seaman spent eight months knitting the model of His Majesty's main residence in London after taking up the craft seriously just 10 years ago. Hmm. Even better, the 93-year-old has used her craft to raise $120,000 for charities and get stopped on the street because of her new celebrity status. She says, now when I sit in the car whilst we're out, people knock on my window and say, are you the lady that does the knitting? <laughs> but I don't feel any different. I'm still Margaret, she says. Her most recent, recent creation, the woolly Buckingham Palace, has been lovingly built over months with polystyrene blocks for structure and wiring to create the gates. It's, it features tiny guards with bearskin hats and pedestrians staring up at the Grand Palace with landscaping and trees around the structure. And it's now on display at the Forum in Norwich's Norfolk Makers Festival until well, until last week. So I guess it's not there anymore. So she goes on to say, I love a big challenge and I like to keep myself busy. I never dreamed it would lead to all this excitement. Wow, you way to go, Margaret. That's pretty outstanding. I'm impressed. I mean, as a knitter, you know. So, you know, I'm a grandma and a great grandma. And so, you know, sharing grandma stories is always fun. This one is just, uh, this one's just funny. Um, this gentleman shares. A story of when he was in line at Starbucks behind a grandma who was apparently visiting the popular coffee shop for the very first time. When it was her turn to order, the barista asked, can I get a name for your drink? Jacob said the grandma appeared very confused and said slowly, I guess just call it Bob. I love that. I love that. So fun. All right. So getting into a little more serious note here. Uh, there's a man who scales a three-story building to rescue a neighbor during a fire. So this is in Colorado Springs, Colorado, close to where our studios are. And he scaled three stories to save a neighbor who was suffering from an asthma attack. They couldn't get into the building. He said, we saw the fire going on and noticed a guy on the third floor was having a hard time breathing. And he had his inhaler in his hand, but he couldn't even stand up. Uh, so the EMTs went up, the door was locked. So Parker said the neighbor was all alone in the apartment and that when he saw someone in trouble, his adrenaline took over. And knowing he needed a hand, he decided to scale up the third floor of the balconies and unlocked the door. And that way they could get the EMTs in. Not sure why they didn't kick the door down, but 
I'm not an EMT, so I don't know all about that. But yay, way to go, Parker, for stepping in, stepping up, and climbing to make sure that this got resolved. So I'm sure that man owes you a great debt of, of uh, I don't know, love and respect. All right. So CPR. CPR is really important. I took baby CPR when my youngest daughter was born and used it once when she was choking. Well, used that method of getting the food out. So this little baby, this little toddler, three-year-old Waylon Saunders, arrived at the hospital. He was already legally dead and had been for a while. He was found face down in an icy backyard swimming pool. The Ontario toddler's body temperature was so low that paramedics thermometers couldn't get a reading and he had no pulse. Nevertheless, a team of uh, professionals at a hospital in Petrolia, Ontario, so this is in Canada for anybody who's in the U.S. listening, they performed CPR for three hours without stopping while simultaneously using other methods to warm his frozen body. Um, you know, they talk about the TV shows and how they do CPR for a minute and then say, oh, well, too bad. Well, that's not the case here. And good thing. Fortunately for Waylon, they didn't stop. And after three hours of compressing his chest to artificially pump blood to his brain and other organs, Waylon's heart was restarted and kept on keeping on. They had a cycle of people performing CPR. CPR is pretty pretty hard to do. I've, I've taken numerous CPR courses and I'll tell you, you start doing those compressions for a long time and your whole upper body starts to ache. So they just kept working and they just kept trading off people to make sure that this uh, young fella was brought back. There was a big team helping him then, keeping him comfortable as his organs started to heal, then allowing him to wake up and he's exceeded all expectations. How great is that? They also share another story here of a European uh, championship Danish footballer, Christian Eriksen, who collapsed from cardiac arrest on the pitch and shocking the crowd to a hush. Denmark's captain, recognizing what was happening, secured his teammate's neck, made sure he wasn't swallowing his tongue and began performing CPR while paramedics arrived, who then carried on for 15 minutes before Eriksen could be removed from the pitch. Eriksen heart heart was stopped for 78 minutes in total. Here's the thing. When you start CPR, you keep going. And if you keep that blood going, well, things can happen. CPR is not a complicated procedure. It can be learned and practiced in simple courses, often offered by schools and firehouses. And believe me, well worth learning. I invite you to take the next class when it's offered. Uh, you'll be glad you did because you never know when you're going to need it. And before we go to break, I just want to share a, a little bit of sweet, sweet news that there's a surge in benevolence. The World Happiness Report, who knew there was such a thing, offered a pleasant surprise. Green travel got a boost and a lost species looks set to return to London, plus more. So there has been a global surge in benevolence. Despite claiming millions of lives, causing economic turmoil and prompting restrictive lockdowns, the pandemic has triggered a surge in benevolence, according to the latest World Happiness Report. I love that World Happiness Report. It suggests that despite the hardships brought on by COVID, global happiness levels have remained resilient with altruism 
increasing. And for a second year, we see that various forms of everyday kindness, such as helping a stranger, donating to charity, and volunteering are above pre-pandemic levels. And that's from Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. So measuring global happiness is a notoriously tricky, tricky business. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. As people have different definitions of what makes them happy. Researchers interviewed tens of thousands of people and tried to identify what contributes to their satisfaction. They found that social support, healthy life expectancy, the economy, freedom to make life choices, and freedom from corruption were the main drivers of happiness. This year's edition once again ranked Finland the world's happiest nation. Bravo, Finland, uh, followed by Denmark and Iceland. It's the fourth consecutive year in which the UK has dropped under the table at 19th. I'm not sure where Canada and the US sit, but maybe we'll get uh, Rev Briz to come up with those numbers next week. So let's just take a short break and we will be right back with more good news. I think I have been there too. I'm a seeker just like you. You ain't got a thing to fear Looks like love is growing here So take your guard and let it down Go deeper still until you come unwound Unbound Lay it all down, down you're listening to the good news and we have you know i love things that sort of improve our environmental picture and there's a startup in india that uses rice crop waste 
to make biodegradable foam packaging instead of burning it. How great is that? So a Delhi-based engineer has designed a replacement for polystyrene packaging out of rice stubble, the dead stocks left over after the rice season in India, millions of tons of which are burned every year. They say wisdom often comes from the mouths of babes, and Mr. Arpit Dupar was at first left scratching his head when his young nephew, nephew drew a picture of the world with a gray sky. Everything else was normal, green grass, yellow sun, white and brown mountains. Why was the sky gray? And it dawned on him that his nephew was drawing the sky as he saw it every year when the rice stubble was burned gray. Imagine the impact on the environment from that. Woo. So we shouldn't live in a world where we have to explain to kids that the sky should be painted blue. It should be a given is what he told the Better India. So he launched a new business venture called uh, Darakasha Ecosystems. And in order to tackle the rice trouble problem, essentially the farmers needed cleared off their land ASAP after harvest. Its high moisture contents means it's useful for stove fuel, so they burn it in massive pyres. So in his factory, he turns 250 metric tons of rice stubble harvested from 100 acres of farmland in Punjab and Haryana into packaging while pay, paying the farmers a rate of $30 per acre for something they would usually burn. Ah, win-win. Love a win-win. Uh, Dupar originally wanted to use mushrooms to rapidly biodegrade baled steaks of rice stubble, but found that the fungus left behind a metabolite that wasn't biodegradable. In other words, he'd have created a waste problem to solve a waste problem. You know, we have to be really ingenious here. So over time, he realized that the filaments that made up the subterranean structure of the mushroom called mycelium were acting as sort of a binding agent, uh, turning the baled stubble into something durable. This wasn't a waste material, but could be a usable one. Through biofabrication, he could use the stubble waste to create a material similar to polystyrene, but one that was biodegradable. There's a lot of these sort of sustainable packaging ideas floating around, invented by people who rarely have experience in markets and commerce. This is not the case with Dupar's stubble packaging. He was already prevented, he has already prevented over half a million pounds of polystyrene from entering landfills since launching his product, which has numerous exceptional properties. Baked in the oven, the mycelium-bound stubble becomes hard and fire-retardant, allowing it to be laser-engraved. Further, the product can tolerate high moisture content and is also anti-static. Wow. They sell around uh, 20 metric tons of the product every month, making about $30,500 uh, per annum, mostly by selling to glassware companies. Well, how cool is that? Good for the environment, making some money and uh, yeah, all around a good story. So this is, this is an interesting one. I'd never heard of such a thing, but you know, sometimes when you're doing a renovation on your house, you get a surprise. And this one was pretty outstanding. In York, a seemingly normal apartment was hiding a historic secret for centuries until a kitchen remodeling exposed it to the light of day. 29-year-old Luke Budworth received a call from the men putting a new kitchen into his apartment. It read, did you know there was a painting behind here? 
Well, it wasn't a painting, nor a bit of leftover Victorian wallpaper, as Budworth had originally suspected, but rather a frieze dating back hundreds of years ago, depicting a biblical scene. The kitchen remodeling was finished before Budworth could see for himself, but after doing a little investigation in the open plan living space, he discovered another frieze. He contacted Historic England, the largest historical preservation society in the country, to see if they were able to make sense of the discovery. And over time, he came to learn that York had once been encircled by a wall, and his second floor apartment was built using some of this wall. The ground floor is taken up by a cafe and charity bookshop, which is listed as being a, a grade two Georgian building from 1747. Yet his discovery dates even further back. Historic England gave him and his partner a full-size replica of the frieze to hang on the wall, and Budworth used the biblical imagery as a reference and managed to find a picture exceedingly similar from a book called Emblems, written in 1635 by Francis uh, Quarles. Historic England explained the pictures, such of these frieze fell out of fashion by the year 1700. So the work was done between those dates, potentially placing it nearly 400 years old. Ooh, what a find. I'll tell you, I haven't run into anything like that in my place. Next time. <laughs> All right, Switzerland's got, Switzerland's got a good idea, I think. Um, we'll see. They're looking at the possibility of putting solar panels between railway tracks. A world first. So Europe's love of train travel is about to transform the continent's solar energy production as the Swiss are set to begin installing these solar panels in between train tracks. The startup called Sunways is waiting for a sign-off from the Federal Office of Transport to start installing the panels between the tracks near Butte Station in the west of the country. With the Swiss, Swiss Railway, National Railway Network stretching beyond 2,000 miles of track, estimates place the amount of power generation at potentially between one terawatt an hour or 2% of the entire gross annual consumption. So that's pretty good. Uh, there's millions of kilometers of railway in the world, and he believes that 50% of the world's railways could be equipped with this system. So some companies use solar power in other ways, like they'll put them in canals and and over, you know, land masses that are not uh, covered in trees. But there is some question. They're getting a little bit of pushback because they're thinking of the reflection of the sun could possibly distract drivers, and that in areas with heavy snowfall, the panels would be a large waste of money, they think. So dust, debris, and damage from the vibration of the trains could potentially interfere, but Sunways have said they are taking all of this into account with their design, and uh, they think it's going to be a go. They even thought about putting brushes on the bottom of the trains to clear off any dust. So... Where there's a conundrum or a question, there can be a solution. Well, here's a very cool project. Uh, this is a round barn. A self-taught Oklahoma architect builds this round barn, and he was inspired by the U.S. Capitol and then fueled by his dedication 
his his wife passed away and i think this became a project that allowed him to kind of move beyond uh, what he was feeling around that. He grew up as a farmhand turned handyman and is entirely self-taught in architecture and home building and built houses in the tiny decaying town of Marshall, Oklahoma. When his first wife passed away, he needed a project to keep his mind going. Settling on a round barn to park his motorhome, his neighbor suggested he turn it into a wedding venue, which struck him as a great idea. Sometimes we get an idea and if we just go with it, it can be wonderful. So after completing the large main area using interlocking concrete filled foam and rebar blocks that fit together like Lego, see playing with Lego can pay off. He began to imagine what a dome might look like and produced a sketch of the interlocking octagons and diamonds that would form the arched ribs of the dome to build with poplar wood. Uh, he's done an amazing job. It's a beautiful structure. And between him and his new wife, he's got it all set. He's now dealing with cancer himself. And so he's drawing up designs in case he needs somebody else to finish his project. But wow, what a great project. And our last story. Talk about a hero. Uh, you know, sometimes we do things and we don't necessarily know why we're doing it, but college wrestler scores quadruple leg takedown against a grizzly bear to save a friend. Whew, not sure I'd be brave enough to do that. So it takes bravery to compete in college wrestling and sophomore NGCAA wrestler Kendall Cummings needed every ounce of it when he decided he was not going to let a mama grizzly bear maul his friend to death. Last year, Cummings went out with his friends, Brady, Gus, and Oren in the Wyoming woods looking for shed antlers, earn a little money by selling those. They went out on the Bobcat Houlihan Trail, which sits on the outskirts of Yellowstone in the late afternoon. They decided to split up to cover more ground. Uh, the gruesome account, Brady turned around to warn Kendall not to step in a fresh pile of bear scat when what was likely a female grizzly bear which can weigh around 500 pounds slammed into him the impact from the bear knocked the young man over a dozen yards and she continued to swat him as he rolled dribbling him like a basketball kendall was not about to let it happen and after trying to use his voice to scare her away he jumped on her back to distract her after she managed to pin brady up against a tree then Kendall ran as fast as he could. Grizzly bears can sprint over 30 miles per hour, and it wasn't even a few seconds before she had turned around and leapt on top of him. I can't even express how grateful I am for him, Brady said. I don't know what I'm going to do to pay him back. I owe him everything. Grizzly bear attacks are extremely rare, eight in the last 150 years. So they don't happen too often. But Kendall suffered horrific injuries. But Brady, who had had the better of it, managed to escape the scene, call 911 and meet up with the friends. And Kendall played dead. How do you deal with a grizzly? You play dead. You don't run. They can outrun you. Well, on that note... This has been the good news. I'll tell you, the good news is something I'd love to see happening more often on maybe our regular TV stations. Maybe New Thought Media Network needs to 
put out some feelers to ABC and NBC and CNN or CNN, CNN, that's what it is, Fox News. Let's have some good news rather than the stuff that uh, is peddling that makes us all wonder and wish whether or not life is ever going to be good again. Wayne, great to have you here as always. And thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And that's the good news. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,